Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. G'day. Welcome aboard the Starship Zero G, science fiction, fantasy and historical radio for episode number 1262, which is indeed titled Stack and Z's on <laughs> Zero G. Thank you, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. I'm Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. And our podcast title is Let Sleeping Pods Lie. Here we are on the 11th of the 11th. Yes. And I was trying to give a minute's silence. I didn't say anything. <laughs> Difficult if you're on air, but uh, I suppose it's not really. It's easy, easy time, isn't it, when you think about it? Uh, and, yeah, I was actually thinking that um, if there's one thing that you seek out, apart from the, the personal aspects of Armistice Day, Armistice Day, um, it might be the Peter Jackson uh, uh, documentary... Uh, we talked about that a while ago. I should say Sir Peter Jackson, shouldn't I, actually, now? Uh-huh. Uh, they Shall Not Grow Old, mm. which is um, – how will I describe this? Okay. He's um, colorized and restored a lot of First World War footage and put it into that documentary that came out in 2018 – uh, I really would have liked to have seen it, that in 3D, but they didn't issue it in 3D and mm. it only showed in limited release for that. But anyway, um, if you can grab a copy of that, and it is available on Blu-ray at the moment, grab a copy of that and watch that and it will open your eyes to the, well, not necessarily to the horrors of the First World War because you already would be probably aware of those. But um, I felt that this was a, a real way into the heads of the people who were there uh, because they have, in, they have interviews with um, uh, soldiers from the First World War recorded back when there were still enough of them to do lots of interviews. Uh, and also um, the, the way that it um, pulls you into the reality of the thing mm. um, that I've never actually seen before with the, the somewhat uh, stuttery footage that's... Um, and the uh, the scratched film and the black and white, of course. Um, this is not a trivial um, reconstruction. A great deal of work has gone into it. So check out They Shall Not Grow Old if you want to um, pause and reflect. And, um, yeah, I paused to reflect this morning about my uh, grandfather who did fight in the First World War and, um, and my uncle who was over in Vietnam and mm. all those other... Uh, moments that um, that that echo on throughout eternity and throughout your own uh, life, mm. because I do stop and think. Uh, my grandfather went off to the war before he got married. He was mm. just he was just oh, a young. There you go. So yes, uh, and he did actually get wounded. So um, <sighs> outcomes could have been different. <laughs> outcomes could be different. This might be it might be Megan McHugh doing the top of the show. Well, so. Could be. Yeah. Anyway, lest we forget. Um, and there's something I have to, uh, you know, speaking of history, I want to know, and I'm sure it's got something to do with um, 
Australia's uh, wide and wonderful uh, Indigenous heritage. Um, why is there a, a lane off Nicholson Street called Warrior Woman Lane? Is there? There is. Is that new? Um, it looked like a new sign, and I'm sure I would have spotted mm. it before. I think you would have too. It's probably not a tribute to Xena, although I wouldn't mind that. Mm. But, um, yeah, I'm sure there's an interesting historical reason there. So I'm going to look into that. <laughs> it pays tribute to the late Lisa Belia. A passionate advocate for Aboriginal rights and representation, broadcaster, uh, photographer, and poet. Okay. There Love you go. it. There you go. We found, isn't that, isn't it amazing? We can just talk to Dr. Google. I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, now, I've been watching a, a television show called Years and Years. Oh, yes. Someone else has mentioned this this morning to me. Mm. Um, powerful. Very. Yeah. Now, it's on SBS, mm-hmm. and it's a British show, which means that its season only lasts about six or so episodes. <laughs> but six concise good ones, mm-hmm. no doubt. Um, it's a, a joint production between the BBC and HBO. Oh, interesting. And um, it basically tells the story of the Lyons family, mm-hmm. L-Y-O-N-S. And this is um, created and written by Russell T. Davies. Okay. Doctor Who. Ah, oh, okay. So... No, he wasn't the doctor, <laughs> but he was um, a production Involved, manager. And, yeah. Yeah, and um, uh, yeah, one of the head honchos for quite a few years in the doctor. And the m- moment you start watching this, you realise mm. it's very much um, like a Doctor Who story ramped up. Okay. Uh, possibly into the line of um, later Torchwood. I could see this being a whole Torchwood episode. And in fact, they mm. have actually done stuff like that on Torchwood. Um and basically this family uh, have the dice really loaded against them yeah, when right. it comes to being vulnerable. Yeah. Um, and in fact, just shading into the slightly ridiculously loaded against them. Mm. Um, let me see. They have uh, um, at least one um, gay man in the family, uh, a mixed race marriage, mm-hmm. a mixed race child, a single mum. Um, a, a uh, differently abled mother. Um, you know, some several of these characters are the same person. Actually, it crosses over. Um, uh, an elderly, vulnerable woman. Okay. Um, so there's a whole bunch of things in this family in terms of uh, the tropes that you just know are going to put them in extremists if the world happens to turn dystopic. Mm. Perhaps we should say more dystopic. Now, if you remember one of the tropes that we're talking about in, um, in post-apocalyptic and pre-apocalyptic movies, uh, that signal that things go wrong, things <laughs> yes. are going bad, um, is actually a lack of a signal. Mm. You know, your internet goes off and your phone goes out. Something strange, yes, happens. Yeah. This trope is um, now superseded. The, the, the new trope is Donald Trump gets a second term <laughs> instantly. <laughs> and that's how this, this kind of starts out. Right. And it's about okay. uh, Emma Thompson plays a, a populist politician. Oh, that's, yes. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, very much in the Trump mode. Only she can actually string together a sentence. This is what uh, – someone else was mentioning this as well. I've now put the dots together. Mm. Sounds very interesting. Mm. It is. Uh, very powerful, that first episode. Mm, okay. Um, doesn't muck around, uh, and I, I think I'm going to stick out the rest of the series just well, to see how to it plays know. out. Okay. Let us know what you think at the end. Years and years, SBS on demand, of course. Cool. Although, I must say that SBS 
on their um, on their on, on demand makes you actually go through the hoops. You have to yeah. create an account. Yes. yes. Once you've done that, it's fine. They've got great content on their note, like they yeah, do absolutely. Uh, and I don't. I, is that to gather information? I would think maybe. Yeah. Says he naive. <laughs> <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> Anyway, um, yeah, so that's playing now, and I think at least two, maybe three episodes, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is also obviously on SBS. I don't know which night it is. Gosh, who watches <laughs> when it's actually shown anymore? Well, it's always available, so, yeah. you know. All right, now, uh, I think we should actually play a track because we've had a little bit of, of a chatter there. Okay. Uh, and our first track will set us up nicely. Okay for uh, our talk about Stephen King's Dr. Sleep. And this is uh, called De Array and it's uh, slash Violet, which incorporates the main title from the original Shining movie, the 1980s Stanley Kubrick one. Triple R. Yes, so that was the Dice Array slash Violet incorporating the Shining main title to get us in the mood for a bit of a discussion about we've got a lot of Stephen King related content today, so I'm quite tickled by that. So I think we're going to kick things off by talking about Dr. Sleep. So this was the much anticipated and very late to come sequel to The Shining. And Stephen King did write the book, Dr. Sleep, uh, and that was a follow-up. He was very clear that it was a follow-up to his novel, The Shining, not Stanley Kubrick's movie. And then now they've, of course, made it into a film adaptation. Now, the interesting thing about that is it's both an adaptation of the novel and very, very, very clearly a follow-on to Kubrick's adaptation of The Shining. So it's sort of trying to do a lot here. So... I'm looking forward to digging into these. Now, Rob, you've read the book and seen the film. I have. As have I. So we are all over. We're, we're on the same page. Everything Doctor Sleep related. I, I tell you, I, I only have sketchy memories of the Stephen King miniseries. Ah, yes. I've actually never watched that one. Now, that was the one that he very famous because he did not like Kubrick's version. So he wanted to do his own version, which he did. And it was not that well received. He's he's nuanced that um, opinion since. I think I think the more you look at them as two separate pieces of art, I think the more you are able to appreciate them because the film adaptation is quite different to the book, not just because it makes it takes some liberties with the plot, as does this mm. movie of mm. Doctor Sleep. Now, <clears throat> just to uh, the liberties that Kubrick's um, brilliant horror movie, The Shining, does I'm, take. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's no doubt that it's um, one of the great horror movies. Absolutely. And, and it's pretty much characteristic of anything that Kubrick did. You parachuted him himself into any genre. Yeah. Science fiction, um, uh, psychological thriller, anything at all. Mm. And he was able to yeah. master that genre. And I do think while he did not portray the novel as it is written, I think there was a certain essence that he did get quite right in the adaptation. Because yeah. the, the Shining film is probably one of my top five films favourites, um, and it's like a go-to film that I watch if I'm feeling down or sick, which is what? a little weird, but um, okay. I suppose it's like a, it could be worse kind of thing. I don't know. It's, it's um, one of the films that they play in Antarctica every year when um, they go into winter. God. What, just to be like, this is what isolation can do to you guys. Prepare yourselves. Guess what the other film is? Oh, uh, 2001? No. Or what? The Thing. Oh, gosh. <laughs> 
<laughs> so yeah, uh, and and I can remember seeing it back in 1980 in the cinema, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and that was a, a powerful time in cinema just then because it was yeah. like we'd had Star Wars, Close Encounters, Alien. Um, Star Trek, the motion picture, yeah. Superman, the movie, and then I got The Shining. Yeah. So I had this like this extra horror because I had science fiction horror with Alien. Yeah. And then there was The Shining. And this is a whole other kind of realm of supernatural and mm. ambient scares and yeah. And it was one of the earlier films that I saw a making of Doco too, which was shot by Vivian Kubrick. Oh yeah. Who's a little girl in um, 2001 that um, Hayward Floyd. Um, says he might buy a bush baby for a birthday for... Oh. <laughs> there's, there's an odd bit of trivia. a quite fun Jocko called Room 237. Seen it, yes. Yeah, which is a bit of a conspiracy theory piece and it's, I, I wouldn't call it uh, accurate documentary filmmaking but it's a bit of a fun look at yeah. um, people's theories and things around different symbolism or different yeah. things they think are being portrayed in The Shining but fun nonetheless if you're a fan of the film. The main difference between uh, Kubrick's Shining and um, Stephen King's novel mm. uh, is basically they hack out with, mm. a, with an axe. Yes. Um, all of the uh, saving graces of Jack Nicholson's, yep. Dan, Dan Torrance, yep. uh, sorry, uh, Jack Torrance's character. Um, and it's... Um, Actually, have I got that wrong? Jack Torrance? I'm no, Jack is the dad. Jack yes. is the dad, yeah. yeah. But it's also Jack Nicholson. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which makes sense. Uh, so in the uh, in the novel, he has far more agency. And in fact, mm. he saves the day by sacrificing himself in the novel. Exactly. And it is more meant to be um, sort of a tale about weakness and addiction and overcoming that. Yeah. Whereas the film very much becomes, you know, kind of a a haunting piece where he becomes like a monster unto himself. So it's two separate things. Actually, if you look at the Kubrick film, it's uh, and this is well known for Kubrick, he was very sceptical about the supernatural. Mm. Uh, and it is possible to look at um, The Shining as nothing more than Jack going crazy. Well, yeah. And the, the thing, I guess the things that isolation will do. Yeah. But then it's... Up until the one moment, and that moment is... Who lets Jack out of the freezer? Oh yes, that's true. Yeah, there's wow. some things you can work around, but there's hard, it's hard to get out of get out of that. That's true. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we've paid a little bit of an homage there to the original, and that's necessary to do. Mm. I don't think that the the new Doctor Sleep film. Uh, actually, pays much attention to the miniseries. No. And if it does, then it's doing it in a way that is really just because it's echoing um, Stephen King's novel. It's very, very clearly going the route of Kubrick's adaptation, not Uh just visually, but story. It changes what happens in the Doctor Sleep novel to fit with... Because, yeah, the the end of The Shining is different in book and film. Doctor Sleep film clearly switches things so it can work chronologically with The Shining film. Yeah. Um, whereas okay. the Doctor Sleep book carries on from the Shining book. So it's actually an interesting thing that they've done there. I, I mm. feel that they've been quite deft in that. I actually think it was pretty ambitious because they're really trying to adapt this novel as mm. well as this overlay of follow-up to the Shining film. Mm. So there's a lot Yeah, we, there's a lot going on. Yeah, we can't we can't overlook that. So to speak. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah. Now um two point five hours worth too. I didn't realise it was that long. It didn't feel like I, I didn't feel like it was wearing its welcome out when I was um, watching it. 
I think because there was some anticipation for where the climax portion was going to go, like the third act. Mm. Uh, I do think it was a tad over long, but I think they had to squeeze a lot into this. Okay. Now, it's um, directed by... Flanagan. Flanagan. (laughs) (laughs) No, actually, it's the... um, the actual director of this is the same guy who did The Cube, oh. if you ever uh, remember that, which is mm. a, a one hell of a, um, a science fiction film, science fiction horror. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think that's actually, that's the, that, that was a film, um, and I think he's, he's a Canadian um, uh, director, Mike Flanagan, um, and that, that, that Cube film, that was the one that really made me think, this guy's going to go far. Mm-hmm. He also did um, Oculus and one I'm not so fond of, um, Ouija, Origin of Evil. (laughs) He did also, did you watch this? He did Gerald's Game, which is a Netflix film, and that's also a King adaptation. Oh, no, I haven't seen that. Yeah. No, I haven't. I should watch it, actually. It's on, I've saved it to my list. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, that's another one that I would be keen to see. That's sort of another closed room horror Mm. kind of thing, so... He's also the guy behind the uh, the Netflix supernatural horror series, The Haunting of Hill House. Yes, the very well lauded one. Mm. So, so I think he's actually. Oh, and um, was he? Did he do the? Uh, oh, that film called um, Splice. I might be wrong there. I might be just looking at the wrong thing. I couldn't. I could be wrong, but uh, let me have a look. Uh, yes, I am wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but he's clearly going genre horror under his belt. Like this is yeah. kind of the. The realm that he's working in. Yeah, it's his thing. And I think he does. Um, look, I, I, I like this film. Mm, okay. Um, I like the book better. Yep. But that's often the case. Interesting. I, I mean, I did read the book and then see the movie. Yeah, that's I, why I did it. I, I'm still not sure. I enjoyed the book a lot. I thought it was a nice page turner. I think it was a little bit toothless. Like I didn't actually feel like there's so much richness in a lot of King's work, especially his early work, um, that I feel his later works don't have. Like, there's still really great stories, but there's, I don't know, I feel there's a layer missing for me. So I really enjoyed the book, and I did think this film was a very nice adaptation. I think they they actually took what they could take and did it really well. Mm. And they om- I can see what they omitted and why. I can see what they added and why. Yes, mm. and I do think... I, I'm intrigued to hear what King thinks of the ending of the film. Mm. I don't want to go into spoiler territory, but it really diverts away. I can see how they were tempted, almost as if they were possessed. Mm. They were tempted to do what they did at the end of the film, Dr. Sleep. Um, I can see I, I, it's justified by what they're trying to achieve. I can see the payoff that they were really trying to yeah, give there. And yeah. I get that. And I do think getting to see the Overlook again and all of that stuff, for me as a lover of The Shining, that was still... That's in the trailer, by the yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, yes, exactly. No, I'm not ruining anything. Um, <laughs> Unless you haven't seen The Shining. In which, <laughs> in which, case, which case, like, you got... This but, makes no sense exactly. to anybody. <laughs> but um, obviously, I don't think this is a spoiler, but in the book... Um, the, the Overlook burns down at the end of that. So in the novel of Dr. Sleep, it's not really a thing anymore. But but here's an interesting thing. I was rereading um, a bit of The Shining and uh, the Overlook is blown up yeah. um, at the end of the uh, the novel. Uh, in the, it, Later on in, in the book, because it's like a bit after that, mm. um, he talks about it being rebuilt. Does he? Yeah, he does. I think in oh, Dr. Sleep they talked about 
Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, so, you know, some, there's some interesting things that can go on there. I mean, how far do we want to go into talking about Dr. Sleep? Because there's some things I'd talk about, but I don't want to ruin it for anybody who... I figure, because it feels very much like this is a character-based film. Um, so we, we go through the characters and we can talk about it in those terms. Mm. So, okay, Ewan McGregor is playing Dan Torrance, mm-hmm. which is um, Jack Torrance's son, one of the survivors from the original Shining movie. Yes. So that's a spoiler. <laughs> but he was Danny, also known as Doc, mm-hmm. also known as um, the chosen child, the yes. special child. Or pup. <laughs> the pup, yeah. Familiar, um, familiar Stephen King trope. Back then, of course, he mm. was designing the, the special child, the chosen one, the yeah. one with the powers. Yeah. And he has The Shining. Yeah. And that is basically a, a suite of uh, telepathic um, uh, mind-based, as far as I can work out, um, powers. Yeah. Um, he can uh, look into other people's minds. He can speak telepathically to them. Um, there may be some telekinetic stuff involved. Yeah. There's some other things that will come to light along the way. But his really special power is surviving drinking vast quantities of alcohol. Yes, which dulls some of the uh, turmoil that comes yeah. with these powers. So this movie is about, and the book as well, about consequences. Mm. The consequences of the events of the original Shining. Yeah. Terribly traumatic. Yes, uh, and it, I definitely think it's about the after effects of trauma mm. and self-medication. Yes. Um, and, you know, sort of there's a bit of this, I mean, this is very wishy-washy, but like sins of the father type vibe and, yep. you know, try not to re, you know, relive those things. And also, uh, and he's played by Ewan McGregor and Ewan McGregor had an alcohol problem as well. He oh. uh, ran, he talked about that uh, a while back, I think on a uh, – Parkinson back in 2007 or something. Um, but uh, this is the thing. So for me, there's two, two, two legs to this. It's, mm. um, as you were saying, I'm not going to be my father. Yeah. But at the same time, there's a, an admission of um, the genetics of um, alcohol addiction. And the fact is that it is an addiction. Exactly. Uh, and he's self-medicating to get away from the shining mm. consequences, plus the trauma of the... Yes. The, you know, the whole of nearly being killed by his father. Yeah. Uh, there's a whole bunch of there's things. There's a lot going on. There. He's a mess. He's a right mess at the start of the novel. You've got to use the phrase, he's a hot mess. <laughs> he is. Very much so. <laughs> okay. So, Absolutely. <laughs> uh, now, of course, it's not just Ewan McGregor who plays um, Danny or Dan Torrance. Mm-hmm. Um, other people play him uh, in various stages of his life because there are flashbacks. Yes. Uh, and, and I all think they actually they've chosen them. It's a really tricky thing when you you, you get people um, playing much younger versions of themselves. You can mm. sort of get away with that, mm. but they're trying to replace iconic younger versions. I'm going to say I felt weird about some of that stuff I in did. the film. Yeah, me too. I felt it. Oh, I don't know. I think there's just some stuff that seems like a good idea at the time, but just rubbed me a bit the wrong way. And I think it's because I do love the original Shining yeah, so much. Yeah. It just felt very odd. I will say that if you're waiting for Ewan McGregor to throw up in a dirty toilet, <laughs> you, will not, you will not be disappointed. You will not be disappointed at all. <laughs> so fleeing from this because uh, Wendy Torrance has, has, has passed away in the years mm-hmm. since, and it's like, you know, three decades or more. Yes. And, uh, and uh, you, you, um, Danny 
winds up in a small town. Yes, of in course, a always. Uh, Not in Maine, surprisingly, but... Where he is... Uh, and, you know, Ewan McGregor's actually a great person for this. I, I believe him as an yeah. older Danny, Danny Torrance. Um, and in this small town, he runs into a guy called uh, Billy Freeman, mm-hmm. played by an actor called Cliff Curtis, who's from New Zealand. I've seen him before in... Uh, Fear the Walking Dead huh. and in the science fiction movie Sunshine. Oh, yeah. Uh, and closer to home, uh, Once Were Warriors and so on. Ah, um, cool, cool, cool. Now, he ends up being uh, Ewan McGregor's character's AA sponsor, Alcoholics yeah. Anonymous. And this is all very important to me. I'm not an al- alcoholic. Mm-hmm. I do have many obsessive compulsive parts in my character, as you may have noticed. Mm-hmm. Um, probably books are my <laughs> Books and action figures. Anyway, I digress there. Um, but my father was an alcoholic, and I'm very familiar with that whole sort of yeah. thing. And he wasn't a reformed alcoholic. Right. So the character of Danny Torrance in this incarnation with these consequences means a lot to me. It's like mm. it's like Tony Stark. I will it's say, I, thing there. I think the portrayal in both the book and film of that kind of struggle, I really found that. I don't have any kind of lived experience around that, but I really did think that it was... Nicely portrayed. Yeah, it was. I think it felt very authentic from from my perspective, and as I say, the book obviously goes into it more than the film. It does. It's and, a key part of the book. And, and at one stage, I was thinking, well, we've moved a bit far away from that, and then then the uh, the director mm. deftly turned it back and made it really critical. And yeah. I thought, okay, yeah, yeah. So I thought they. I think that was the thing to get right in this. Yes, I agree. Now. Um, this would be just Danny Torrance's journey to reconstruction <laughs> if it was not for the presence of... Yes, our side story. Our side story, which is actually quite important, um, of uh, a young girl called Abra. Yes. After Abracadabra. And she shines. She shines. Quite brightly. Extremely brightly uh, to, a, to a degree that um, is actually quite terrifying. Mm. And it does make you wonder... That there, there could be a sequel to this in the works. I wonder about that. Mm. Uh, Kylie, I'm not going to mess this up because I didn't check on this. Uh, Kylie Curran plays Abra Stone, mm-hmm. the uh, the young woman, with the um, the shining. Or she's, yep. I think she's about what thirteen, thirteen or, or so. Yeah. Yes, yep. Yeah, and uh, brilliantly played. Yes, I think I think she did a lovely job. I mm. I wanted a little more chemistry between her and you and McGregor. Oh yeah, but yeah, I, I suppose. I think that you know, it, I mean, I'm not you know throwing a table about it, but this young girl is preternaturally precocious. Mm. So with her shining, it's a developing power. Mm. We learn about um, how it develops, and it's much much stronger than anybody else's. And it does give her this sense of confidence or uh, recklessness, I suppose. King talks about her having this. Really scary smile, mm. and in a way, you know how this is. This is a horror movie. Whose horror movie is it? Mm. You know. Yeah, I'm beginning to wonder because I think you think about Firestarter, for example. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of actually King ones where um, where it can go either it way. It can go quite dark. Yeah, and they dabble in that a little, but generally they they try to keep it to the light side. Yes, because the dark side is f- almost fully occupied by yes. Rebecca Ferguson playing Rose the Hat. I think she was great for that. She's exactly what I would have imagined when reading the novel. 
We have the trope, the special child, mm. Abra. We have the other trope, the one who hunts the special child. Yes. Or usually a beautiful woman. <laughs> Quite often. Quite often. Uh, in this case, I don't think this is giving anything away. In this case, um, well, she's just she's hunting mm. hunting Abra for reasons which will become apparent in the film. Quite quickly, yes. yes her and a quickly. band of her, her, a group that call themselves the True Knot. Yes. Uh, and they are so not true. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah. Anyway, Rebecca Ferguson, uh, we've seen her before. She's a sweet. She's um, uh, been in a Swedish soap opera. She's an English Swedish actress. Um, the British television miniseries The White Queen, Mission Impossible, Rogue Nation, um, and also uh, she's going to be the Lady Jessica in Dune. Oh, great! Mm. I would absolutely love to see her do that. Oh, she was in uh, the Girl on the Train, but I haven't seen that. That wasn't my. I have seen that, cover. but I don't remember her in it. She's got the cheekbones for this. Yeah. And I, and let me tell you that for me, the character hung upon whether or not she wore her top hat, which is her signature item of apparel, <laughs> at a jaunty angle. And she didn't, did she? She did not. No. And that peeved me. <laughs> I'm trying to come to terms with that from a costuming point of view. And I'm I'm almost willing to settle for the fact that she sometimes wore the hat tipped back. I actually that feel be jaunty. Her, the whole vibe of what they were doing with that group of people and her, I felt like that was so well executed that I made peace with the hat. But you I agree, I was, was going to, I was wondering how they were going to do that. And I, I the kept, answer was they I didn't. kept waiting for it to, to jaunt it. I know. <laughs> but they did do a little around the hat. They did. When it gets knocked off and such and, yes. you know, her attachment. So yes. I, I guess it got across. Her hat, her millinery based monster yeah. uh, and it's actually a very good um, moment early on in the film um, and they're preying upon children for the reasons that we uh, have alluded to uh, but not mentioned no. um, and it's a horrible terrible evil thing Oof. and it's and it, they really yeah it's scary yeah and it's frightening uh, and and well played in mm. terms of it of the drama and the um, the horripilations that they raise uh, and there's an early moment on where with one of their victims, um, and it's uh, almost taken from um, James Wells Frankenstein. Ah, right. Ah, yeah, and it works very effectively. And yeah. afterwards, you go, "Was that? Oh, yeah." Oh. <laughs> there are some great sequences in this. That's for sure. Indeed, in- including one of the best sequences of astral projection, if I can call it that, um, that I've seen since Doctor Strange. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know. Um, and so I thought they did that very well. And one of the important things, really important from the book, you've got to make the true not family, the the cultists, mm-hmm. the uh, whatever the hell they are. You've got to make them a family. You've got to really sell the idea that they are a group yeah. that have their own needs and wants mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. ways of doing They're things. They're not just a 2D evil or a 2D yeah. whatever. Yeah. I think they managed to do that. Yep. Uh, it's a little bit more sketched in than in the King novel. Because as well, I can see it's for a time. Film. Yeah. You, you just don't have the time. There's so much mm. that was missed. But on thinking, I think it's okay to not have that in. Yeah. Uh, and so they also had um, a bunch of people playing the uh, the family members, including Carol uh, Straken, who plays uh, Grandpa Flick. And mm. he was Mr. Holm in Star Trek The Next Generation. He's such a recognisable He's face. <laughs> and a recognisable height. Yes. Height as well. He played Lurch in the Adams Family movies. Yes, of course. And uh, was a giant fireman in um, in Twin Peaks in the 1990, 91 
the so early, yes. Yeah. So actually, he's he's a he's a presence there, mm. and I, and I also thought that amongst the uh, the minions, um, uh, Zan McLaren mm-hmm. uh, plays Crow Daddy. I thought he was excellent for the time that we see him. Agree. Yeah. Uh, a Native American actor, half Irish yep. descent. Yep. Uh, saw him in Bowen Tomahawk, which is another great horror film. Uh, and also uh, Emily Lind playing Snakebite Andy, mm. um, another important character in yes, the Yes, yes. Uh, I thought that they they managed to conjure those up. Now, that comes at the expense of time for a character from the book called Casey. Yes, and he gets, he's not in there. He's not in there at all. Billy uh, takes over all of his role. Yes, less of a role for Abra's family. Mm-hmm. Much less. Much less. Uh, Dr. John Dalton, much less of a role he for him. He gets whittled right, which I was disappointed because I'd looked at the cast list and I really love, I think it's Bruce Cawthorn. Greenwood. Greenwood. Bruce Ooh. Greenwood. I really, really like that actor. And I was Chris- hoping to see more of him, but. Christopher Pike in J.J. Abrams' Star Trek. Star Trek uh, movies, yeah. Yeah, I think he's a fine actor, actually. Um, and uh, that brings us back back full circle to the um, – the actors who play who are playing the flashback mm. versions of people we saw in The Shining, yes, um, and they've actually gone to great lengths to to make that work. I thought um, Alex Esso plays uh, Wendy. I actually think she does a quite good job because Shelley Duvall's performance in The Shining is unique. Yes, it is. and you do not want to fall into a parody, but you need to have enough hints of that to sell it. And I think she did a really good job. What you have to do is um, the last we saw of Shelley Duvall's character in The Shining, she was under extremists. Yes, you know, terrible circumstances, and so she's ramped right up. Yeah, she's, she's dialed it up. To borrow a phrase about a psychic from another show, dialed it up to 11. Yeah. Uh, and in this, she's more after coming down from yeah. that. And so I buy that. But she still has some of those mannerisms, I thought, and qualities of her voice that I was like, I see what you're doing. I can see that you are. Yeah. Hmm. Others, I think, are kind of less successful. There are actual some cameos. There's at least yeah. one cameo from the original. I... Um, not playing the same character. No. <laughs> I do think that... They did try to be fairly um, – they didn't overdo it in that there wasn't a lot. No. And I think that was really good, especially for one of the characters in particular. I think the yeah. less of that, the way, the better, just because you just can't. Um, and we need to play a track. Oh, yes. Because we've been We're really – We've been really – we've really gone into this. We're talking about Dr. Sleep here on Zero G, and I think we'll have a track here called Dr. Sleep. Uh, from the Newton Brothers, and it's from the uh, the soundtrack album. This is Neil Gaiman. It's well past 2000 AD, but Tharg still listens to Zero G. Hmm, yeah, we just had a track there, Dr. Sleep by the Newton Brothers from the Dr. Sleep original soundtrack album. It's got a really good soundtrack. I think you heard some of the heartbeat that they they play underneath a lot of the action in the film, or a lot of the driving around sequences. Um and that felt really uh, – look, it's not the first film to use a slow heartbeat as a – No. As a, as a soundtrack and also as a sound effect. But and it's I'll, effective. It is. And I think they use some of the notes from the soundtrack really well. I mean, I will say in hindsight I think it was a nice adaptation of the book and I think a solid film. But the parts that I both liked the most and felt the most conflicted about were all of the parts that really drew on – Kubrick's film, yeah. both music and visually. Um, 
It's and so f- I wonder then if that's – I don't know how I feel about how much homage there is here. And it's it's received blessing from the, you know, notable parties and so on. But I don't know. I just feel very strange about it. Like it's this film that's come a lot later by a different director that just really emulates the style of another film. And there's some stuff at the end where I was like, I feel like that's a little much. You know what this film so I don't know. It stands in the same – where it stands in the same relation to the original Kubrick The Shining as Peter Hyams. 2010 stands in relationship to Stanley Kubrick's 2001. Mm. Um, now, both adapted from work, Arthur C. Clarke in the case of, uh, of 2001 and 10, uh, both adapted from works by the original author mm. and and pretty good adaptations yeah. that, um, that do cleave to the essence of the mm. original. Yeah. Um, and I think this is a pretty solid film, but, yeah, there are some wobbly bits in it. I, I don't quite know the, the Kubrick stuff, the direct quotes and the revisualizations. Mm. And uh, One of the things about using actors to play the, um, the, uh, the earlier characters in flashbacks if you then go and do a flashback that includes original footage with the original actors mm. in there, it makes it plain that it's not the people in the flashback. I don't think they had any of these. They the, did. Which bit? Yeah, there's a couple of very quick flashes. And mm. In I, the end? Um, yeah, in the end. And I thought, oh, okay. They're almost subliminal. I'm not sure there are. I think there's there are. reenactments as well. No. No, I'm sure I saw Shelley Duvall. Maybe I, maybe I. Got, I think you. Maybe I saw. Got, I think you. I saw what I wanted to see. Well, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just feel like I've, I've, I never left that hotel. I feel like I've always been there. <laughs> I feel like I always will be there. Well, now. won't you though? <laughs> <Yeah>. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely party. Lovely party. <laughs> um, I do think that I. I mean, I enjoyed seeing this film. I. I mean, it was a follow up. I didn't need, but still enjoyed. Yeah. Um. I mean, it's never gonna become my new replacement for watching The Shining. Do you know? I think I made a mistake. I think that maybe reading the book. Doctor Sleep. You should have done it second. Yeah, maybe I should have in this case. Maybe I should have because mm. and and maybe I, I needed a couple of years between reading the book and seeing this movie because then then I would have um, had some distance. But I yeah. came out of it the next day. Basically, yeah. to look at them plainly, they are two distinct things, like the original Shining and the Shining book. Yeah, and I think that they've travelled down two very different roads. So I think if you are interested in both, then, yeah, I, would, I wouldn't I would think you need just, yeah. Hmm. I don't know. I think you're right. I feel I felt strange about it having read the book and then seen the film hmm. and trying to, like... Munge them together. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, kind of consolidate them in my mind and I think that's where you just can't. Yeah, yeah. So. But I think they've had a bloody good crack at it. Yeah. You know? Um, well, I think... It, it's interesting. There's been a lot of sequels this year. Yes. Uh, and and there's so, whole separate discussions you can have about that. But if is this a good sequel to The Shining? I think it's pretty strong. Yeah. It's not a it's not a dog. It's not a No. It's not a turkey for sure. Yeah. But I feel like it's at least as good as the it sequel. But again, 
I just I see them so differently. I don't know. Anyway, actually, it, it is it is technically not a sequel. It's um, it's part two. Part two. As we ah! discussed this, Rob, it's ah! not a sequel. It was already a two-parter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to go back a bit. There. But yes. Uh, anywho, mm. I think outward general thumbs up. Yes, with yes. caveats. With caviar. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think we've run out of steam on this. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really do miss the jaunty angle, though. I know. I, I it, just... would have, it would have added a bit of, you know, extra. Yeah. But... but Rebecca Ferguson makes a first-class rose the hat she otherwise. She was perfect. She's a very um, charismatic woman. Yeah. And this is my th- – I'll leave you with this thought. You know how I was asking uh, whose horror movie this is? Mm. Whose horror story this is? Well, you know, I mean, Daniel Torrance has been fighting alcoholism and his fear of the Overlook Hotel for all those generation for all those years. You could say it was his horror movie. Mm. Um, Abra Stone is uh, she's not really all that scared of anything. No, it's because she's thirteen as well. I think they talk a little bit about you know yeah. the foolishness of youth. She has the power, mm. so it's not really her horror movie. Who is the person who? It's oddly enough, and I, I and my hat off to Stephen King here. I think it's Rose the Hat's horror movie. Mm. I think it's what she's terrified of. Yeah, in this, and that's a very interesting way of playing it. Joss Whedon would have done that. Yeah. No, <laughs> so I'm going to give it a um, a yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I appreciated seeing this, and, uh, and and it's it's opened up a lot of avenues of thought in my mind about. Um, whether where Stephen King mm. um, might have might have gone in in the in the novel if he was so inclined, he doesn't have to be as obvious about it. Though. No, no, he doesn't have that geese laid upon him. All right, uh, we'll play another track here, uh, and this is actually um, something that's uh, used in the um, the other Stephen King adaptation, the ones on Netflix at the moment, in the Tall Grass, mm-hmm. and uh, it's Midnight Special. Which is, of course, Credence Clearwater Revival's track that was used in the Twilight Zone movie when they <laughs> say, do you want to hear something really scary? They're singing that just before. This is Ashley C. Williams. I played Lindsay in The Human Centipede and the title character in Julia. You're listening to Zero G on 3 R. Ah, want to see something really scary? Midnight special, <laughs> Creedence Clearwater Revival. CCR. Yeah, it's a, it features actually in um, in the Tall Grass, which is another Stephen King adaptation out there on Netflix at the moment. Indeed. Ah, now that's why I was thinking that Mike Flanagan directed um, Splice because the, the guy, director of this this one did. Ah, got it. I got trapped there. Oh, I should let you know that. Um, an author who we've uh, interviewed on Zero G before, in fact, two authors, Scott Westerfield, mm-hmm. uh, is um, having some discussions at readings in Hawthorne on Saturday the 16th. Nice. 4 p.m. It is a free session, but um, you have to book. Mm-hmm. So go to readings website. And um, he's going to be uh, talking about uh, his new book, Shatter City which is uh, part of his Impostors series, and he's going to be chatting about that with Jay Kristoff, who we talked to recently as well about his new series. Which is Lifelike, right? Yes. Yes. So it's at uh, Readings in Hawthorne. Nice. All right. uh, Now, we looked at um, In the Tall Grass on Netflix. Uh, This is a Canadian supernatural horror film written and directed by Vincenzo Natale, uh, American-Canadian film director. He, sorry, he is the guy who directed... (laughs) Cube, 
Cipher and Splice. There we go. Yeah, I just I had to get there. Who the hell's Mike Flanagan? <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes these things happen. Um, I must have revolved. I know, you somewhere. switched for a second. Yeah. Based on a short story? Yes, by King and another guy. Joe Hill, his son. Joe Hill, his son. King of the Hill. Mm. There you go. <laughs> so we both read the story as yes. well. It's a novella. Yes. Very short, though. And this one is um, padded out. I don't even see how you could get 40 minutes out of this, let alone an hour and a half. They just finished the story. <sighs> Sometimes um, Stephen King leaves things hanging. Right. In so this... they just keep going into yeah, they that. Just, they just drill down into it and explain it more. Right. And give it a different ending, which uh. I kind of disagreed with. Okay. But... It is literally what it says, in the tall grass. Yeah. They're in Kansas. They get lost. They get lost in a field. The field is no normal field. It is no normal field. <laughs> it's like um, a field in England. Oh, ah, yes, yes. That, that was that, a good that's, film. That's, that's quite, quite uh, more surreal than this one. Uh, there are time problems, mm-hmm. difficulty with uh, when events take place. Um, is it gory? Because the short story is disgusting. It's pretty gory yeah. in places. I don't want to see some of that stuff. No, I don't want to either, but I've seen it. <laughs> <laughs> you did it. You did it. You took one for the team. Yeah, I took one for the team. And um, I thought it was uh, quite powerful. It, it's the grass, the tall yeah. grass, about six feet tall. Do it's they not, get the mood? It's not corn. No. It's not corn. It's yeah. just stalks, right? It's of just like of grass. grass. Yeah, yeah. Very tall grass. Um Taller than a human being. Yes, very important. So you can't really see over it easily. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it is actually. It's a good character. It reminds me of um, some Australian cinema where the landscape is a, is a character in itself. Yeah. Uh, and that's quite enough as it was. I think this would make a much better episode of something like Twilight Zone or Rather Outer Limits. Rather than don't push it to a film. Yeah. I really don't get how you could watch an hour and a half of this. Yeah. Um, like I said, they do pad it out and they do make some intelligent choices. Okay. I'm always up for that. And they do have Patrick Wilson in there. Patrick do Wilson. Do like him. Yes. Um, and his wife is not playing his wife in this in spite of the fact that her name is also, the actor's name is also Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> I had to go drill down into that because I got confused there. It was, it was all this thing that was messing me up in my head. <laughs> so, anyway... Um, a couple uh, driving along through the countryside. Mm-hmm. Actually, when I say they're a couple, it's a brother and sister. Right. Not yes. A, you know. yes. Yes. Um, yes. The sister is on her way to uh, give birth. She's very pregnant, and um, she's thinking of giving the baby up for adoption. So there's a problem. You know, there's a family relationship problem yes. there to start with. They stop by a uh, curiously abandoned, well, it's not hmm. that curious, is it? Hmm. Stephen King. No. Uh, abandoned church called the Church of the Black. Redeemer. Yep. And um, there's cars parked around it, some of them quite dusty, which should have been a damn giveaway. I know, to just start keep with. on driving. Keep guys. on driving. God. Don't stop. Oh. Never, never stop. Never stop. And uh, as they're standing there, they hear a child calling out, Help Again, me. Again, never help a disembodied voice, especially if it's a child's voice. Yeah, but it seemed innocent enough. He's just gotten lost in the tall grass. Mm. He can hear and he's not that far from the road. You know, don't step <laughs> off the pavement. No. All that sort of stuff. Uh, and, you know, it all goes horribly wrong from there. And, and they have a hell of a time. Horror ensues. Horror ensues. Would you recommend it? Um, Look, Stephen King completists are going to watch it, mm. no matter what. 
Uh, so it's an odd choice for an adaptation, I think, because there's plenty of other content that hasn't. I suppose a lot of his are either big ticket things or, hmm. yeah, I don't know. Interesting. Yeah. I I found it was too padded out for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and again, having Daniel read the the short the novella quite so soon, yeah. But you know, in a way, I'm sort of thinking, what happens next? Because they don't explain a whole lot in the story. Yeah. But now we now I know. Yeah. I'm I'm a better person for knowing. Oh, it's interesting <laughs> though that I guess they come up with that whole history and stuff. But yeah. anyway. Yeah. So if you like Patrick Wilson for a start, I mean, it's, I do it's love probably him. Probably worth seeing. But uh, and and the other the acting in it is is fine. Yeah, you know, there's some Aussie actors in there and okay. stuff. Oh, oh, that's okay. good. That's good. Uh, you know, so it's I, okay. Yeah, it, it's it's okay. I I, I thought the best. It's to, it's to me like in in many apocalypse movies, the best part is the start. Yeah, where everyone's just sorting out the rules and the procedures and stuff, and and maybe the last man on earth is actually seems like the last man on earth before the zombies, vampires, yeah, whatever the hell arrive. And, and that felt like this. If I thought the most interesting part was actually being lost in the grass, mm. but it's hard to sustain a whole movie from that. And then the next bit that they added in, it just wasn't of interest as much. So yeah. Mm. Oh well. Mm. In the tall grass now. I don't think it's quite as successful as Doctor Sleep. Mm. Uh, but you know, if you're a Stephen King completist, you might want to see it. Check it out. Yeah, it might infuriate you. <laughs> I don't know. You know, so get out there and mow that lawn. Uh, now we're going to go out with um, Golden Years mm-hmm. uh, by David Bowie from um, Changes One Bowie. And the reason why we're playing this is because Stephen King um, likes this track and also um, based a um, a series on it oh, as well. So, nice. or at least on the, the title Golden Years. So yeah, we're going to go out with that. Joe Brunetic coming up next with Astral Clemmer. I will not be in next week. No, uh, I've got some things that I have to do. Uh, so I'll hand the keys over to um, Megan. Yep. And as the Red Skull said, um, <laughs> not a scratch doctor. <laughs> and Joe Brunetic coming up next with Astral Glamour. G'day, this is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast at Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.